0: Welcome to episode 1.2 of part 1 of Reconciliation. This is the Warp and Wolf. I'm your host, Grover Elliott. And next I'll be covering my second defining characteristic. I am a Christian. Don't be worried. As I said, this isn't a religious podcast. There are enough of those out there. But religion will pop up from time to time because it's so central to so many of us. And it figured so heavily at the creation of our country. And if you don't consider yourself to be especially religious, hey, that's okay. But you also don't need to be offended or frightened by it. The same thing goes for the religionist outlook toward atheists and agnostics and those who are just, well, wondering. Religion is nothing more than a philosophy on how to live life. It's just like any other guiding philosophy, differing only in its believed origin and ultimate consequence. What moral laws do you follow? Do you use them as guides for your treatment of others, or as excuses to abuse those who, in your opinion, fall short of your moral precepts? What we do here on earth to deal with one another is up to us. But how we do it should follow some moral law. Religion is an attempt to define that moral law. Some claim religions are merely man-made constructs to get people to accept their lot in life or stay calm in the condition of privation. Okay, let's say that they are. What's so wrong with that? Christianity doesn't say you should be mistreated. Slavery is addressed in both the Old and New Testaments, But slavery is a man-made construct, just as are governments, no matter what claim to divine right they may make. Christianity is based upon the moral principle of do no harm and love your neighbor as you love yourself. Is that so bad? Of course, religion can be used as the opiate of the masses, as sedative to keep people quiet and complacent. But history indicates religious zealotry of any kind rarely precedes peaceful coexistence. How do you use your religion? As a philosophical guide to help you lead a moral, just, and peaceful life? Or as a weapon to use against other people's psyches and lives? And it doesn't just have to be so-called religion. Look at climate catastrophes using climate change to justify their bullying and economic control of people who disagree with their perceived causes and effects. Can't you just stop flying your personal jet and leave my truck alone? Live by example. I guess the real differences lie in how each of us lets our God affect the way we treat others around us. Are we using a system as an excuse to abuse others? I don't think any of us should blame a god or a religion, but rather look inwards for those uncomfortable answers. The ideal way to ensure the existence of a peaceful society is not by turning constantly to the whip and sword, but with a solid moral base and education. What does it mean to be a Christian? I'll bet you have your opinion on that, and I'll wager that you and I Disagree on at least some points, even if you happen to be a Christian. Perhaps, especially if you're a Christian. That's okay, because we are individuals, right? As an individual, I've never agreed with anyone, living or dead, 100% of the time. This goes for presidents, philosophers, scientists, actors, even Jesus Christ. That's right, I've disagreed with Jesus. Clearly, I have. I'm a sinner. As are all of us. Call it a sin or bad judgment, we've all wronged someone at some point. It doesn't mean I was right and Jesus was wrong. It just means that we disagreed on how I should act or behave at a particular time or in a certain circumstance. I will say that in taking stock of those times, he was right and I was wrong. That's okay. I'm an imperfect individual. At the root of being a Christian, and here's your, a good trivia question. At the root of being a Christian is the belief that Jesus Christ was the Son of God, was God, one third of the Trinity, and no, not the Butchie Chick in the Matrix movies. He was killed on the cross, truly dead. He returned in the flesh, not a ghost or apparition, and ascended into heaven. And that Christ will come again to judge the quick and the dead. Not the movie with the butchy chick from Fatal Attraction. All people on earth, alive or dead. But what did I get from growing up as a Christian other than a lot of very difficult concepts to come to terms with, like cannibalism, corpses rising from the dead, a trinity at the head of a monotheistic religion? Hey, nobody said being a Christian was going to be easy. What did I get out of the experience Well, Christianity gave me a basic set of principles, of rules to follow. It gives me guidelines to follow no matter the situation. In fact, that's what this whole exercise is, defining your character traits so that you are equipped with a sort of cheat sheet for life. Have you ever taken a a bubble fill test? This is one where you fill in the bubble corresponding to your multiple choice answer, A, B, C, D, and E. They look sort of like uh, Scantron sheets. Have you ever seen an answer key for them? It's an identical sheet with the correct bubbles punched out with a hole punch. To use it, you just line it up over the answer sheet and you can instantly see which bubbles were filled correctly and which weren't. With your defining characteristics and a guiding philosophy on living, you'll be able to do the same with pretty much any situation that arises without having to fret and debate with yourself. So what was the central message of Christianity? In a word, love. I know that's not what always comes across, and you may be using your faith in a completely different way, but Christianity is supposed to be about love, which brings peace, or at least gives you a good shot at it. But Christianity so often puts we followers in a perceived position of superiority. We throw our faith around like a dagger far too often. If you aren't a Christian, don't feel particularly persecuted. Fellow Christians throw that dagger at one another in the very same congregation all the time. So then why do I follow Christianity? It's about What is at the root of Christianity, what all Christians through all time believe and are supposed to be about, love. Christianity isn't about what one movement in history or one congregation of bigots says and, according to them, the name of the Lord. If a nurse goes crazy and starts poisoning people at a nursing home, do you suddenly hate all nurses who ever lived? Of course not. And Christians should never just blindly follow someone because they claim to speak God's will. Remember Rene Descartes that I mentioned, French philosopher, mathematician, all-around interesting cat? He did write, I think, therefore I am, which is the inspiration for part one here, I am, therefore I think. Descartes' work was, in my opinion, a a kind of tongue-in-cheek philosophical exercise on the existence of a higher power. You should check it out, especially if you're religious. But what everyone should check out is his discourse on method. In it, he describes starting over from scratch, rejecting and forgetting everything that other people had put into his brain in order to go and search for truth for himself. He made some exceptions, such as basic mathematics and his religious moral compass, to give him a start, with the caveat that if any of it turned out to be untrue, from two plus two equals four to loving your neighbor is good policy, he would reevaluate and dismiss them if need be. Same with me. And I think most Christians, I won't speak for the rest of you, we question things a lot. At times, we may reject God or feel that he's abandoned us. We may decide it's silly to believe in something with seemingly, we're told, no scientific evidence to back it up. Do I know God is real? No, of course not. I believe he is real. There is a difference there. I believe he's spoken to me in a dream. I was going through a very difficult time in my life, having gone through an ordeal that I thought had wrecked my soul. I could not get past it. Then one night I had a dream. God told me that he had forgiven me, but in order for forgiveness to be complete, I had to forgive myself. I awoke and was able to start pulling myself back together. It was, it was very cathartic. Was it God speaking to me in a dream or just my mind relaying lessons I'd learned in my Christian upbringing and psychology and counseling classes? I don't know. The brain is an incredible machine, and I've had some fantastical dreams. But why would I have that one then? Did God know that I needed months to stew before I'd be ready to forgive myself? Or was my brain finally ready to move on? And if so, why did it wait until I was asleep? I guess that would be less socially awkward than a one-sided conversation while standing in line at McDonald's. But the point is, I don't know if it was God. I believe it was God. Can we know He is real? I suppose some can that have had a personal experience, but most haven't. Christianity brings us so many questions. It's really about not knowing more than knowing. Christians don't know whether they're going to heaven or hell because you are saved by God's grace, not by deeds. We don't know what heaven is truly like. We don't know what Jesus looks like or what his real name or that of God really is. We can't know God's essence. We don't know, I mean truly know, what comes after death. You atheists, well, you already know these answers. There is no heaven or hell. The closest you'll ever get to heaven was playing in the ball pit at Chuck E. Cheese's when you were five. Jesus looks similar to how your cultural background appears. God's essence is made up of the questions between the Big Bang and today that science has not yet answered. Decomposition follows death. There, am I about right? Did I get them all? Christians scoff at this difference, but consider yourself from the atheist perspective. Think of how you might look at Bigfoot believers. Of course, these people believe in some mixed-species hairy creature that no one can seem to pin down. Not God-born as a carpenter and living a life of poverty until being crucified in his 30s. There's no historical record of these human-like wild men. Of course, the Bible never mentioned dinosaurs either. And I'll point out that every Bigfoot believer I've met had a real one-on-one experience in the woods that they believe physically involved a Sasquatch. We Christians don't even have that to hang on to. So be careful what you say about Bigfooters and consider that atheists may have a legitimate cause for their own doubt. Ultimately, it's everyone's individual decision. I like not knowing some things. I like uncertainty. It keeps new music interesting, sometimes. I like not knowing what is going to happen after death. I like the idea that my soul lives on. I'm not comfortable with the idea of having to come back as a fly or a politician or a teenager, so I'll skip the reincarnation religions. But I've found that Christianity has been doing me no harm, and so much good. If I'm wrong about God and Jesus and love, at least I lived a life trying to love the people around me and elsewhere, except in traffic, as long as I don't use my religious beliefs to hurt others, which is why everyone has a choice and should make that choice for themselves, for the better, I pray. Now, back to what Christianity is. At the center of modern Christianity is money. (laughs) Just kidding. Though that does seem to be a draw to many getting into Christian leadership, and for many that follow that Christian leadership. It's the modern version of all that self-help, filthy, rich garbage from the 80s and 90s. Find Jesus and find your reward. I'm not in that camp. At the center of Christianity is Jesus Christ, and we learn about him in the Holy Bible. As you probably know, the Bible is made up of two books, the Old and New Testaments. For those not familiar with the Bible, non-Christian and Christian alike, the two books cover different periods of time. The Old Testament tells of the time before Christ, when God was establishing his chosen people and prophets were foretelling the coming of Christ. And the New Testament covers the birth, ministry, death, resurrection, and legacy of Christ. There it is in a nutshell. There is though a, a universal arc that covers both books. I don't mean the gold chest that Indiana Jones found or the huge boat that Russell Crowe built. I'm talking about the story and its meaning. Starting with the story of creation, which by the way was written as a poem and is clearly different than the rest of Genesis. We learn that there was a creator of the heavens and the earth. This creator was known by many names. What's in a name? Does your name dictate who you are and what you do? Adolf Hitler was a German despot who tried to eliminate everyone he thought were lesser people, while Adolf of Onslaubert was a German saint known for his charitable programs for the poor and wretched. Your name obviously does not determine who you are or how you will behave. Even Randall Graves recognized that title does not dictate behavior. Names are interesting, though. How many times have you heard people say a child has the perfect name or it just goes with that kid or that the name of a child divides a family over a perceived slight? Hmm. So what is the name of God? really mean. We humans of limited grasp have to refer to God in some way, so we choose names. Do all of those names represent different gods? I don't think so, because I believe there is only one Creator. Something for you members of different religions to consider. We humans just interpret God's essence differently. For instance, Christians believe God is a personal, living, and loving God. Muslims, and I'm no authority on other religions. I know a bit more about Judaism because that is the foundation of my religion. But I claim to be a Christian, so most of my knowledge, limited though it may be, is about Christianity. Just want to put that out there for the record. But Muslims see God as not personal, but more harshly judgmental a force to be feared. Who is correct? Well, there's a lot of dead people and at least one pillar of salt in the Old Testament that may ask, what's the difference? Indeed. Anyway, we get a story of creation and an explanation of why. The Bible doesn't go into how life is created, but rather why we are different than the other life forms on earth. God or Darwin, gave us a brain to figure out the how, we all forever will be grasping for the why. Why do we have a soul and seemingly nothing else does? Because God made us in his own image. Old man with a white beard image? No, of course not. With a conscience and an eye for beauty, be it a mountain stream or a star-filled night sky, or Mozart's Requiem. It takes a soul to see the beauty in nature, or art, or music, or your beer-swilling neighbor Carl. Sometimes it takes a heck of a lot of soul and a really good privacy fence. No offense, Carl. I'm not saying every religion believes man was made in God's image, but I'm sure every religion recognizes that God gave us special consideration over the rest of creation. Other creatures, like some bird species, may use tools. Or creatures may use crude weapons, like chimpanzees do, or even be sanctified, like Krishna's cows. But man is the only creature that can recognize that God exists. That should put us on some kind of even plane with one another no matter what our religious or non-religious upbringing. After all, the main reason I'm a Christian is that I was brought up as a Christian. I've analyzed it, questioned it, and accepted it on my own since reaching adulthood, but I already had a really strong ingrained basis for doing so by that time, and that holds true for my friends and neighbors of other religions. And animal lovers, you agree with this position that man holds a special place, whether you realize it or not. Not only have I yet to hear of a dolphin church or see evidence of an actual elephant burial ground, why is it that humans are evil for killing animals? But the reverse is never true. Why is it amoral for us to kill when nature does it constantly for survival? Let's take it further. Does anyone see it as okay to kill babies? This is not an abortion debate. I'm I'm talking about living, crying, pooping babies of any species. I don't think anyone believes that is okay. Not even the people wearing giant vagina hats on the Washington Mall. But nature loves killing babies. They're slow, dumb, and easy to harvest. Probably soft on the palate. Watch a nature show. Do you think lions are going to burn in hell after watching them time and time again single out the old, the crippled, or the newborn out of a herd and then eat it while it's still alive? I'm not trying to disturb you with this imagery. I'm just pointing out that elevated life requires asking difficult questions. So the story of creation is about telling us why we are different. The rest of the Bible covers one overarching theme. God lost his people, all of us, because of our violations of moral law, and he continues to show patience and grace in his effort to get us to come back to him, her, they, whatever, to see us become the humans, the brothers and sisters we should all want to be. To be sure, there's a lot more detail contained in the book and some fantastic and practical advice on living life. Verse pickers like to throw Leviticus around because of statements about tattoos and homosexuality. But did you know that book also contains really great advice that the medical community still follows today? Ever heard of quarantine? (laughs) It's there. Washing in order to heal? It's there. And much more. At any rate, When you use your religious beliefs to draw battle lines between you and any other individual, individuals made in the image of God, are you staying true to God's overall plan? Not if you're a Christian, you aren't. My duty as a Christian is to love. I fail quite often, perhaps as much as anyone. But what I get from Christianity is that I am supposed to love and that God is the ultimate father figure. My Christian upbringing challenges me to remember that all of us, each individual, was made in the image of God, and my duty here on earth is to love each and every one as I would myself. I fail, often. We all do. But that isn't the fault of Christianity, or Judaism, or Islam, or Hinduism, or any other human perversion of religion. It's our fault. Individuals. What is the guide for your moral compass? Does it have to be an old religion? Here's where I'm going to anger just about every Christian, and probably the followers of other religions. Is Christianity the only way to live a moral, ethical life? Of course not. Is religion the only way to find a course of life that is good Well, I suppose it depends upon your definition of good. But if it has to do with living peaceably and not violating others, also of course not. Secular and moral codes can come to the same conclusions and goals as religious codes and commandments. The ones about living in peace among your fellow humans, anyway. I know that it is wrong to steal because the Eighth Commandment told me so. Thou shalt not steal or however your Bible version says it. But I can arrive at that same conclusion otherwise. If I see something I want, and I am tougher and better armed than the person who has it, I can just take it. Hmm, but what happens when someone tougher and better armed than me comes along? We should make a rule that stealing is wrong, and there should be a punishment. Let's cut off their hands. See? See? I can make a law that carries a specific punishment for the violation. On the Christian side, I have a rule that, well, I'm not sure what the punishment might be or when it might come. Do I get a bunch of do-overs? Is number eight worse than commandment number nine? And where's that one about not being gay? On the secular side, we do make rules or laws and punishments, such as when it comes to murder and perjury and, well, I'm, I'm not sure adultery is even illegal. (laughs) Many of our laws are rooted in Mosaic law from the Old Testament. By the way, they are very interesting to study if you get the chance. It goes much further than the Ten Commandments that Charlton Heston made so famous. As for the more esoteric commandments, do unto others as you have them do unto you, is not exactly in the same vein as love your neighbor as you love yourself, but it's functional, at least for kindergartners. Honoring your mother and father is a good idea all the way around, but it's experienced uh, spotty adherence throughout history, biblically and secularly. Keep the Sabbath a holy day? Heck, we've turned it into a whole weekend here. But these can be translated as social mores in a secular society, and their intents are probably better served as customs than as hard laws since we can't read what's going on in another person's head. The point is that we believe these rules came from God. Secularists and even atheists can come up with some similar ones or even copy these and have many times and live a moral, just life. Now, they'll burn in an eternal hellfire for it, but hey, no system is perfect, right? (laughs) Seriously, though... Religious folks believe there is an ultimate judgment. I think that actually helps with things like coveting. God knows your thoughts, so you'd better watch them. If you believe your thoughts are just thoughts and harm no one if not acted upon, well, that that takes us back to you become what you think about most. Unhealthy thoughts or fantasies can become problematic, to say the least. But personal discipline and good habits can certainly help curtail bad thoughts. I've known adherent religionists, atheists, and agnostics in my life and can tell you that in my experience, none of them hold a monopoly on good living or bad. Now, Satanists, I'm not really sure how to take you. I mean, Satan requires the concept of God in order to exist. It sounds like you're just bucking your parents' Christian upbringing to get attention. You know, like your brother-in-law, Salinger, who roots for the other team on Saturdays, no matter who the crowd-favorite is playing, just to be ironic. He doesn't even have a bet on the outcome of the game, and generally wanders into the kitchen to hang out with the wives by halftime. And he drinks white wine or some weird spritzer during a football game. (laughs) Satanists... If it's, if it's about the fact that you don't like religion, don't show up on Sunday mornings. If it's about the separation of church and state, you and I likely share common ground in some respects, but your approach is not going to win over the other side. And if it's some hippie thing about Mother Earth, just become an environmentalist. That's the most hardcore cultish religion on the planet, and they already have pamphlets printed. Okay, we'll segue back out of angering everyone and ask again, does your moral guide have to be an old religion? No, but they have been around so long that they have been tweaked for millennia to cover just about every condition and circumstance, even if you don't believe in a God. Here are some other things that Christianity has taught me. There is something bigger in the world than me. It's not just about me, and that teaches me a healthy respect for others and provides me some humility. We are all created in the image of God. That means our existence is equal. Therefore, love my neighbor as I love myself. Christianity holds me to an ultimate judgment, a consequence in all my actions and even my thoughts, good thoughts, bad thoughts and us becoming what we think about most. I'm challenged to accept disappointment with grace and to show mercy and forgiveness to others. And digging a little deeper, God put me on this earth for a purpose. My industry, my production, my contribution to the human experience. St. Paul tells us we should think about that in our jobs. You aren't just working for you or your boss. You're working for God. Keep that in mind in everything you do, be it assembling widgets, creating art, or managing others. Do it as God would want you to. Now, here's where biblical Christianity can get tricky and turn a lot of people away. Since 1551, the individual verses of the Bible have been numbered so that one can pick any particular one of them out of context and use it to beat a center of the head with. If you aren't a Christian, this may very well be your experience. If you are a Christian, you've likely seen or employed this technique yourself. Or if you're a militant atheist, you may have employed this technique to throw back at some self-righteous Christians. Hey, good for you. They probably did something to deserve it. But the verse numbers were put in place for the purposes of study. But just like the Internet, the organization of information can be used to enhance or diminish the value of the information itself, the overarching message of love. What does your moral guide teach you? Is your guide based in love? Does it accept the frailties of the human condition? Does it encourage or challenge you to be a better human, a better brother or sister? Thank you. Stick around and you can pick apart my next defining characteristic. I am a husband. I know my wife's going to be listening.